How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Any of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? One, two, three, okay. Uh, next to the Bible, it is the most sold book in all the world. It has been sold more than any other book in the Bible. It's never been out of print since about 1670. John Bunyan, who was a Baptist preacher, wrote it during his 12-year imprisonment for refusing to compromise. <laughs> and uh, he was one of the dissenters in England, and he was imprisoned two different times. Uh, his wife and, and little blind daughter would come to see him. His little daughter died while he was in prison. Such a great grief to him. But he practiced also what he preached. While he was in prison, he wrote a book, kind of in a similitude of a dream with allegorical uh, lessons. Uh, I read, I've read it several times over the years. The first time I ever read it, I was on a plane. I was reading it. Uh, I was going uh, somewhere on an airplane, and I, I, I read that book. And I tell you, I just wanted to get up and run up and down the aisles. I was so excited. It was just such a powerful message. It's a story of uh, Pilgrim. His actual name at first is Graceless, Graceless. We learned that later in the story. And he lives in the city of destruction, and he picks up a book, and he begins to read it. And in this book, it tells him that that city is going to be destroyed and that uh, uh, apart from, uh, from receiving salvation, everybody in that city, it's the city of destruction will be destroyed. And he is told in this city, in this book, that he needs to escape. And he, uh, uh, as he reads the book, he has this huge burden, this big pack, heavy, heavy pack on his back, so heavy he can hardly stand up. And, of course, it is conviction of sin. It's the, the weight of his guilt and his sin. And, and he, he can't get it off. He can't get rid of it. And, and he meets a man named Evangelist. And Evangelist tells him, to flee the wrath to come. And he tells him to go to yonder wicked gate. There's a narrow gate. And he says, can you see it over there? And he looks, he said, no, I can't see it. He said, well, do you see the light over there? And he said, yes, I, I think I see the light. He said, then you go toward the light and you will come to the wicked gate and the one, and you knock and, and they will let you in. Someone will let you in. And so the whole story is his journey and uh, different people that he meets along the way, worldly wise man who sends him to the city of uh, uh, morality to uh, meet a man named Mr. Legality who can take the pack off his back. But he uh, is uh, spared that, and, and he ends up, evangelist meets him again in the way, says, you know, why, why are you going here? I said, I told you to go. He said, well, I, I just, I, I'm trying to find some way to get this pack off my back. And he said, you, you go. Anyway, he goes, and he finally arrives at the wicked gate. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in between that even. And he gets to the wicked gate, and he's given admission. And, uh, and it's Christ, actually, that allows him in. You don't learn that until later. But, and, then, and then he is told to go to the cross, basically, 
and uh, a lot of other things happens. He has to go up the hill, difficulty and things like that. But he gets to the cross, and when he arrives at the cross and kneels at the cross, his pack, that burden, just falls off his back, and it rolls down the hill and rolls into a sepulcher, into a grave, and he never sees it again. And then he goes on about his journey. It's a marvelous story. Anyway, I'm rereading it right now. Actually, I got it on uh, 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 Audible, and so I'm listening to it and uh, following along, too, in the book. But it's just such a glorious, wonderful story, and it's about all the struggles along the way and how that uh, uh, their, their blessings. He goes to the home of the house of the interpreter who is kind of like, uh, a, a mentor, a guide, a counselor who gives him wise biblical advice, but then he also meets, he, he goes off, he and uh, his friend, faithful, whom he meets along the way, they go and uh, they try to take bypath, they come to bypath meadow, and instead of staying on the path because it looks pretty hard, they say, well, this way looks easier, so they go this way, and they ended up getting captured by giant despair and they get locked up in doubting castle and there they are ill-treated terribly mistreated for days and uh, uh, they uh, even consider taking their life because giant despair actually tells them why don't you just take your life and he leaves bottles of poison and things like that so they can kill themselves and and they even consider it, you know, which is pretty realistic, you know, to uh, what may happen in some Christians' lives. And then uh, on the seventh day, uh, Pilgrim, Graceless has become Pilgrim, and now he's become Christian, and his name is Christian now. And he said, ah, how foolish of me. I remember I was given a key when I came to the cross, and that is the key of promise. And he said, this key will unlock any door. And he puts it in the lock there in Doubting Castle and turns it, and the door opens, and they escape Doubting Castle. It's just marvelous, marvelous stuff like that. You could see why I got so excited as I was reading it. As a young Christian, uh, maybe in, in my 20s, and I, first time I'd ever read it. And, uh, and I've read it. Not every year of my Christian life, but I've read it many times and parts of it many, many times. And then he finally comes to uh, enter the celestial city. Well, they, they go through Vanity Fair, and, and anyway, I won't tell you that story. But, uh, but uh, then they finally come to the celestial city, and, and he goes across. He's this, by this time met another traveling companion named Hopeful, and... Uh, and when they come to the, to the river, which is, of course, the river of death, <coughs> and they have to cross, and Pilgrim, or Christian, gets scared. He's very nervous, you know, even though he believes, and even though he's trusted, he, you know, what, what, if, what if I sink? What if I drown? And Hopeful says to him, I love the line, Hopeful says, I've touched the bottom, and it's sound. It's sound. It, you won't sink. And uh, so anyway, he goes on into heaven. <clears throat> well, uh, the second book, which was written four years later when he was back in prison, he got out for a little while, and they put him back in prison. 
and he wrote his second book, and it's the journey of Christiana, which is Christian's wife, who refused to go with him. She wouldn't go with him on the original journey. In fact, she scoffed and made fun of him. And the kids, the kids, there were four boys, and they wanted to go, but they couldn't, they, they wouldn't go. They didn't go. And so anyway, now the second book is Christiana and her four boys make the same journey. And they hear that Christian is now in a place with no pain and there's no just an endless glorious bliss. He's in heaven and and so they decide to make the journey and they set out and make the same journey. And it's a it's a, in some ways the second book is better than the first book. But it's because it has the wife and the four boys and then a, a girl named Mercy who goes with her. And uh say all that to say this <laughs> if you haven't read pilgrim's progress you can get it in its original version which is like reading the king james because it was written in the 1600s so it was it's reads like king james and it has the willeth and doeth and goeth and uh, so forth but they have done it in modern versions they have i like <laughs> just like i like the king james i like the old version of pilgrim's progress but I also read it in uh, modern English. They had one called Pilgrim's Progress in Modern English. And there's probably a dozen or more different translations of Pilgrim's Progress. And like I said, it has never been out of print. It has, uh, and it has been a blessing to many, many, many generations. But uh, a course that I had recently in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, an online course, the... Uh, teacher said that if you ask in most schools today even high schools how many of you have ever read Pilgrim's Progress you'll probably get no hands unless you're in a Christian school and if you ask how many of you have heard of the book Pilgrim's Progress said less than half in any place he's been less than half had ever even heard of it so uh, I'm uh, I'm trying to think of ways to encourage kids to read Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, so I'll think of something. Money usually works. It's about the only thing, you know. The book Safely Home, I bought 20 copies of it when I was down at Ovilla, and uh, I offered kids $20 if they would read the book and meet with me and talk about it. Uh, for one hour and I had uh, about 12 that took me up on it but only one of them took the money the others said uh, I feel like I ought to give you money for me reading this book and one couple that read the book actually uh, ended up going as missionaries to to China so uh, anyway if you hadn't read that book that's a good one too so that's enough for the book report uh, time tonight I guess I want to think about pride tonight uh, listen to these verses out of Proverbs chapter, whoops, that's the wrong one. I'll do it this way. Proverbs eight thirteen: the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. 
And then Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. And then Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. By the way, one of the one of the lines in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim uh, sees a traveler up ahead of him who ends up being faithful, and and he runs to catch up with him, and he gets, he said, ha ha, I ran, I, I ran so fast, I caught you, and then he trips and falls, and uh, and faithful says to him, ah, oh, my brother, you know, the Bible says a haughty spirit goes before a fall. <laughs> so all through Philip's progress, just, just laced with Scripture, just absolutely laced with Scripture. And then uh, Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Let's think about pride tonight. What, how would you define pride? What is uh, kind of the definition or explanation of pride? If somebody just somebody up on the street came to you and said, "Yeah, I've been reading that pride is a bad thing." What what is pride? How would you answer them? Probably no wrong answers uh, here, but how would you answer? What is pride? All right, all right. Maybe thinking that you're better than other people. Okay, that's certainly a a, a, a key element of it. What else? How, what else would you say is pride? How would you define pride? All right, a know-it-all kind of a, a know-it-all attitude. You know, well, I know more than uh, other people. Uh huh. What? Boastful? Yeah, bragging on ourselves. Okay, a worship of self. It's okay. All right. Anybody else have an idea on it? What is pride? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I think uh, my definition or idea of pride is a self-reliant. Independent, an independent spirit. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else. I can handle it all by myself. I can do it. I can take care of it. I don't need anybody else. Kind of that independent, arrogant, haughty, a lot of words for it, prideful spirit. And uh, uh, I said this morning, it's kind of the root sin of all sin. Actually, I got to thinking about that uh, later. Uh, there's maybe one sin prior to pride. That'd be the sin of unbelief. Unbelief. Because uh, God had said, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And obviously, Adam and Eve didn't believe it. They believed somehow or another that they could violate that commandment and standard and still go on and not be affected by it. But then pride is the next visible sign of that followed unbelief. And this idea of 
I want to be like. Kind of what you, I want to be like God. I want to be in the place. And again, it's this idea, I don't want to have anybody telling me what to do. When do we start noticing pride? When do we first, okay, when we look in the mirror, that's right. That's when, that's when I see it first thing in the morning. Uh, uh, that's right. I tell you, it's just kind of built in. The Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve sinned, that that sin of pride then just kind of passed on in an infection kind of way. You know, right now, everybody's so afraid of getting the flu, and um, and I, I'm, I am too. I don't want to get it either. But, uh, but pride is even more infectious. We're actually born with it. That's actually, we don't catch it. It's already there in sin. The Bible says, was I brought forth in iniquity? Was I born? I had, I had pride in me. And we start seeing it as soon as the kid is old enough to say no or I, uh, I want my way. And they express it pretty clearly, don't they? They can be pretty, pretty clear about it through screaming and yelling, knocking stuff off. Uh, and, uh, and, and the Bible teaches that that kind of behavior, that rebellious, haughty, arrogant, resistant, rebellious behavior uh, has to be challenged and corrected in a child. And the Bible actually teaches that a rod is the way. Now, it doesn't mean beat your kid, but it does mean that discipline sometimes may have to, you may have to exhort, uh, resort to corporal punishment. And uh, that if you if you spank your child, do it in the right way. And of course, never in anger, and never in, in vengeance, never in uh, not not even really in punishment, because punishment looks back at what's happened. Correction looks forward at where you're going, and so that's what discipline is for: is to correct a child. But we cannot drive pride out of a child with all the discipline in the world. It's still there. All we can do is kind of control that child until they reach a point where they can actually come under personal conviction for their sin. There has to be the burden or there will never be the longing to be delivered of that burden. And uh, so uh, so we, we see it. It's just in, inborn in children. Pride is inborn in children. After we get saved, and by the way, in order to become a Christian, it requires a brokenness of the pride. A laying down of the pride. As long as a person thinks, I can do it. I can please God by my own self. I can do enough good works to make God accept me. That's all pride. And nothing worse than religious pride. But humility is when we come to a place of saying, I need help. I need a Savior. I need 
someone to forgive my sin, but also to change my heart. And, uh, and so conversion always, I think always, is accompanied by laying down one's pride and humbling themselves before God. I don't believe you can be saved any other way. Now, after you're saved, then is pride still a problem? Unfortunately, it is. You say, well, that's a bummer. I thought if I got saved, then all this would go away. No, even after we're saved, something new is added to us, a spiritual life, a spiritual dimension. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and he awakens us. He, he enlivens us, gives us a new birth. So we are now a new person with a new drive, a new desire to love God, to serve God, to please God, to enjoy God. But there is still in us the flesh, the remnant of that old self that wars against the Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5 says the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And uh, uh, I've met people who, as new Christians, were shocked to find out that they still wanted to do some bad things. And I said, well, how do you feel about wanting to do those things? Well, I, I, I don't really want to do them, but, but I want to do them. And I said, well, do you want to want to do them? No. I don't want to want to do them, but I want to do them. I say, okay, well, that's a good sign that you don't want to want to do them. That makes sense? But even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, you know, I, I, I struggle with this same thing. The good that I, I want to do, I don't always do. And the things I don't want to do, Sometimes I do those things. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And he answers that, I thank God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so we do have the ability to slay pride in our life. It's just that we don't always do it. surveys that he did, and, and I didn't know this. Uh, you know, the new generation, they're called the Z group, the mm-hmm. centennials, not millennials, uh-huh. centennials. Okay. You know, they know that. Well, I didn't know that, I, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it, they were having all these results. 33% of, of the people that they interviewed, these young people, they don't see any need for God. They mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with having sex outside of marriage, right. children outside, uh, not, not even getting married. Now, I mean, it's, it's a prideful thing. I've got everything. If they need, uh, if they want an answer to something, all they have to do is Google it. They don't even have to ask anybody. That's anymore. right. Yeah. You know? And so uh, pride is just rampant, and it's coming up worse for the younger people because that's, I mean, that's just our nature anyway. Mm-hmm. Like right. And I had one young person tell me, I don't need a teacher. I've got a computer. 
I can find out. I can find out more. I, he said, I have a computer that knows more than you do. I said, well, that's probably so, probably so. But you still need a teacher. And uh, uh, so that's, that's kind of a sad state <laughs> when, when people think, I don't need anybody. I don't need a teacher. I don't need a preacher. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. And I mean, a lot of them, even little children, reaching the point, I don't even need my parents, you know. And I can do what I want to do by junior high age. Some of them fifth and sixth graders, you know. And uh, it's a sad state. So, so what? how do you recognize pride? When do you recognize pride rising up in you? What are some, some times uh, driving is a, that's a time I, it happens to me. If somebody comes up behind me and maybe I'm in a red light and the light turns green and I don't go instantly and somebody behind me begins to beep their horn, I want to get out of my car and go back to them and say, did you get that for Christmas? You know, or something like that. That's just pride, you know. Because now if I come up behind somebody and they don't move and I beat my horn, you know, that's okay. But, uh, and if somebody cuts you off or somebody gets you uh, a parking place you were about to pull into or something like that, and somebody whips into it in front of you, those are times that pride rises up and we feel even justified in it. We feel justified in it, don't we? And it's like, well... <laughs> Don't they know who <laughs> kind of idea, okay? Uh, when's another time, another time that you feel pride? I'm not asking for confession. I mean, what, when, when do you think other people might feel prideful? Okay. Okay, all right. There is a verse in Proverbs that says, Only by pride cometh contention. And, uh, and I think that's true. Whenever, whenever my wife and I disagree about something, and if I suddenly realize she's right, pride is still there. It's like, you know, I'm going to have to admit I was wrong, you know. And then if... If I feel like I'm right, and it can be over something totally trivial, you know, something that doesn't even really matter, and it becomes a point of pride, a point of contention. Uh, what else? Maybe the general thing is when you know you know you shouldn't do something, and you decide you're going to do it, going to do it anyway. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Just, just I, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. All right. And. Uh, and another time is if somebody corrects you. If somebody says, now, you ought not to do that. <laughs> it's like, I already know I ought not to do that. <laughs> but I don't need you to tell me I ought not to do that, okay? Uh, there are all kinds of signals. Were you going to say something? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I've had people ask me, you know, well, don't we say to our kids, you know, we say our, to our children, I'm really proud of you, and, and you know, and, and that's not the same kind of pride as sinful pride. It's, uh, it's a sense of I affirm you. I'm saying that what you've done is a good thing, and it makes me recognize that you've done a good thing. And uh, so I wish we had a different word than proud, you know, or I... Uh, uh, grateful maybe or a great job you know but but uh but in the sense that we're talking about pride it's always negative in the bible it's never positive like uh i affirm you as uh having done a good job which is what we mean when we say well i'm really proud of my grandson he scored two touchdowns you know now <clears throat> uh oh that man pride can go in so many different directions another one i thought of was the Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. Sometimes the more we know, rather than making us humble to having learned, it makes us prideful. Uh, if you've ever heard a fresh out of seminary young pastor preach, you might feel like he's trying to impress us with all the stuff he knows. And uh, I know there's that tendency because when I would learn something new in Bible college or in seminary, uh, I would have the tendency to want to show it off a little bit, especially some Greek word or Hebrew word or German word or something like that, to want to say, well, you know, in the original language, and I, I still do that sometimes, but I don't do it pridefully, you understand? Uh, but uh, uh, but knowledge, sometimes the more we learn, rather than letting that knowledge benefit us, it can puff us up and make us prideful. And I just, I definitely remember in seminary, uh, some of the students that came in as freshmen, pretty humble, and by the time they finished three or four years in seminary, some of them were less humble. They just, uh, they were kind of haughty. And uh, now that they had a degree, a master's degree, uh, they behaved like a master instead of a servant. And so that, and there's that tendency in all of us to do that. There's that tendency to do that. And uh, so then, so what is humility? What is, what does it mean to be humble? It doesn't mean to walk around all slumped over with your head down looking pitiful. That's just bad posture. Uh, what, what, what is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Okay. That's good. Good. I would I would say that all genuine forgiveness has to come out of a humble heart. A prideful heart will never forgive. <clears throat> it may exonerate. It may say, "For never mind, uh, I'm a big enough guy to take it." But true forgiveness always comes from a heart of humility. Uh, well, I've just got three more minutes. I want to, but uh, let me just say, I think of humility as reality, reality. It's not 
looking at myself and thinking badly of myself, having a terrible self-image, this guy, that's not, that's not humility. That's not even healthy necessarily. It's looking at myself and having an honest, realistic perspective. I need God. I need other people. I need good relationships. I need my wife. I need, uh, uh, from other people, I need to be loved and I need to love them. And so it's a realistic perspective. It's not, uh, it's not an exaggerated uh, or phony, uh, there is a false humility that kind of shows itself off, you know, and people are pride of, proud of their humility. And uh, that's kind of an oxymoron. And I uh, heard about a guy that they gave him a button that said the most humble man in our church, and then they took it away from him because he wore it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but humility is not wallowing in self-loathing. It is recognizing an honest, biblical perspective of who we are. And uh, I am weak, and in my weakness, Christ's strength is perfected and demonstrated. And God gives grace to the humble. And to those who cry out to him, Lord, I need you. He says, I'm here. I'm here. In, uh, I'll close with, in Pilgrim's Progress, as Pilgrim, on his way from the wicket gate to the cross, still has his pack on his back, still has his burden. He slips and falls. He and another man who has come out to walk a little way with him, Mr. Pliable, and they both trip and fall into the slough of despond. And uh, there they are wallowing and about to drown, and uh, Mr. Pliable, he gets out over on the side next to his home, to his town, and he runs off, and he says, oh, if this is what we're to expect along this way, I don't want to go any further. And... Uh, Pilgrim is, is in the slough or the muck in the mire and he's wallowing and about to drown and he calls out for help and suddenly a, a hand reaches and grabs his hand and pulls him out and he said, uh, uh, my name is Help. And uh, all any traveler along this way ever needs to do is call my name and I'm there. <clears throat> and uh, he pulls him out of the slough of despond and he says this is the place where all of the guilt and shame and and fear of people have fallen over the years and have rolled into this swamp and and it's a, a dangerous place and many pilgrims fall into it and never get out because it's the slough of despond and when they get so despondent they feel like there's no help, but he says, all you ever have to do 
is calling my name always right here, and he pulls him out. It's a great. I've tried to find a movie, a good movie, of uh, I've I have three different movies of uh, one of them stars Liam Neeson uh, as evangelist. <coughs> it's uh, made a long time ago, uh, but uh, I've never found one that I really really like. One that really portrays all of these characters in their, uh, in their fullness. But uh, uh, humility is a willingness to cry for help. Help. Lord, I need you. I need others. And, uh, uh, you know, a group of humble travelers making their way to the celestial city, knowing that every once in a while one of them is going to trip and fall and need some help, and we become helpers as well, knowing that around the next turn we may trip and fall, and we'll need some help. That kind of group makes a great church. And I just say that I sense a lot of that in this church. And I'm so grateful. Uh, somebody was asking me this past weekend how long I'd been at Bear Creek. And I said, well, I think about four years. A couple of years as an interim and then two years as a pastor, something like that. About four years. Isn't that about right? Isn't that about right, I think, maybe. And uh, they were wanting to know, well, what kind of, what kind of problems have you met? And I don't know why anybody would ask a question like that. And I said, well, not any. I said, it's the most loving fellowship that I've ever served. It's the most loving uh, people that I've ever served. And uh, then they were a little embarrassed that they'd asked the question that way. But uh, the truth is, it's the only church that I've ever served that I could that I was at for four years that anybody could have said, "Well, have you faced any problems there?" That I couldn't have <laughs> said, <laughs> "Yes." I think it's a lot of that to do with the people that come by faith, the original members, or the ones that go that way and that kind of shepherd. That's right. That's right. That's what I told Brother Bob uh, the other day. I, Brother Bob Cullen. I said, Brother Bob, I just, I gave him a hug, and I just said, I just thank you so much. I said, uh, you were here seven or eight years before me, and I said, you so sweetened the fellowship of that church that it's just been a delight for me. And uh, uh, and and that's that's the truth. And I'm so grateful for, uh, uh, like you said, the. Uh, the members that have been here for a while, the members that were under Brother Bob's uh, 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 ministry, and uh, it's, a, it's a delight. Like I said, I look forward to church every Sunday and can hardly wait to get here. Well, let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you so much for your, your purpose in our heart to, uh, to call us to humility. Lord, I know that you don't want to humiliate us. You're not 
You're not trying to embarrass us, but you do want us to willingly and, and honestly come and bow before you and recognize that we're not sufficient for all these things, but you are totally sufficient and that you're always available and that you're always enough. And I pray that you'll help us to walk in genuine, honest humility. And when pride raises its head, for us to recognize it, resist it, and repent of it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.